Hello, and welcome to the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. Our church has a passion to reach people who are far from God, teach them to follow Jesus, and launch them out to serve God in the world. If you're in the San Diego area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. Please visit questsd.com to learn more about us, find out service times, and explore our ministries. If you have any questions, send us an email at info at questsd.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Let me encourage you to grab your Bibles and your journals and open them with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We are continuing a new series that we started next week, or excuse me, last week. We're going to continue on next week, but uh, we started this last week. Uh, it's kind of back to the future right there. But uh, last week, and uh, this series we've entitled In the Meantime, because in these letters to the church in Thessalonica, Pastor Paul is encouraging the church on how to live a godly life as they wait for the return of Jesus. We talked about a couple of themes in these letters. One is the encouragement to this new church plant uh, that was planted in only three weeks. Pastor Paul stayed in Thessalonica for three weeks, planted the church, and because of an angry mob, he was driven out of that city and eventually found himself in the city of Corinth. And from there, he got word from Pastor Timothy, who was dispatched to the church in Thessalonica, to minister to the people there and to the church. And, and Timothy brought word back to Paul about the good things that God was doing, how the church was thriving and growing in, in Jesus because of the, the powerful word of God that was being preached in their midst. Now, uh, this church also had some, some issues and some challenges like every church has. And so a part of his letter to the church was to correct some doctrines that were a little off and one of the main doctrines in these letters deals with the end times and the return of Jesus. And so he's going to address that as well as how to live a holy and pure life. So uh, Paul is going to talk about sexual immorality and purity and how the church can maintain that. And as we've said here many times, the church isn't the steeple, it's the people, right? It's the, the people of God. It's not the building, it's not the location. So whenever I say church, I just want you guys to remember that. I'm not talking about the building or the facility or the location. We're talking about people of God, the precious people of God that were, uh, that's loved by God uh, and sacrificed uh, by Jesus to ensure our forgiveness on the cross. And so uh, last week we looked at the model church because in the first chapter, Paul is just celebrating and commending and praising this church for a couple of things. We talked about how a quality church is valued by its people's character. So what makes a great church? Well, it's the coffee, obviously. It's the, uh, it's, uh, nah, that coffee wasn't that great. It was a little weak, so I'm gonna go somewhere else next week. Or that pastor's jokes, he only, it was really not funny. And uh, if you guys stick around long enough, you know I only know three jokes, so hopefully you'll laugh at all three of them whenever they come up and make me feel good when I mention a joke. But uh, what makes a great church? Well, they, Paul describes that in chapter one, and these are really foundational and, and solid for us to, to lean into and grow in. Paul says that this church had an enthusiastic faith. They were filled with the work of faith, the labor of love, as well as the patience of hope the Christian trifecta of, of virtues as a follower of Jesus Christ, faith, hope, and love. They also were an example to other Christians and other churches, and as well as they had an evangelistic mission. 
that their reputation for receiving the word and sharing the word with, with other people went uh, near and far, not only in their city, but also into other cities. So they had an evangelistic mission that was uh, in line with the heart of God to reach people who are far from God and teach them to follow Jesus and then to launch them out to go and serve God wherever they're at, in school, work, uh, or anywhere. And then lastly, Paul praised the church for having this emphatic change, this transformation that took place in their lives, how they turned from idols to worship and serve the one true living God. And when the word of God takes root in a person's life and the power of the Holy Spirit is present in their life, then there is radical transformation and change. And that change, uh, we see that certain things in our lives are, are, are taken away. And God fills them with passions and interests and desires to serve God. So this was the, the encouragement and the praise that Paul had for the church in the first chapter. Now, if you have a great and model church, you also have a great and model pastor. And that's the, the title of the message. But I don't want you to get too hung up on this because you might be thinking, well, I'm not a pastor. And, and uh, you know, well, this message isn't for me. No, really, I want us to lean into this because... When you see the church and the servant leaders ministering together, this is uh, what is important for us as the body of Christ to understand not only the roles and the motives and the character of a pastor, that is looking at Pastor Paul, because he's going to have to defend his character and ministry because there were some people who were saying that he was uh, in the ministry as a way to take advantage of people. And he was using the ministry to pad his own pocket, so to speak, and to build his own kingdom or to build his own name. And so Paul is going to defend himself, and we're going to see characteristics and qualities of a pastor. But I would also extend that more broadly as a servant leader. I, I just can't say leader without using the word servant. If you have been around me long enough, uh, you'll know that because leadership at, at is essential is influence. And every single one of us is a leader of some sort because we have influence in people's lives in some way. If you are a parent, you have leadership influence in your child. If you work at a company, you have some type of influence with other co-workers that you have. Or if you're in school with other friends, as even as a, a follower and a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have servant leadership influence in other people's lives who don't know Christ as a way and as an example of Jesus to them. So I think that not only are these in the context of what Paul is saying as a pastor, as a servant leader, as a ministry leader, but this also applies to us as followers of Jesus Christ. So the point that we want to remember today is that a steward of the gospel is a servant of people. A steward of of the gospel, as Paul's ministry in the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. And for Paul, as, as he would say in his letters, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. And his gospel was the gospel of grace and the gospel of faith. So it's grace alone through faith alone. And he preached that throughout his uh, letters. And so as a steward, as a minister of the gospel, even as a servant leader or ministry leader in a church, uh, that ministry doesn't belong to you. Uh, we don't take control over ministries. As a servant leader, we're modeling the servant uh, leadership of Jesus Christ, who was described in Philippians chapter 2 as not only being equal with God, he humbled himself and became obedient, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. 
He humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death. So Jesus is our example of servant leadership, and that was to serve people. It's not to build uh, our own name or to get uh, fame and glory from other people or even to please other people. Paul will say in this chapter that uh, his desire was not to please men, but to please God. And I found that, uh, you know, it's impossible to please everybody. As somebody who makes decisions and uh, someone who has influence in people's lives, uh, you're never going to please everybody. And if you try to please everybody, you'll end up not pleasing God. And that's the most important thing. So Paul is going to walk us through this, this um, uh, evaluation of his conduct and ministry. And just three things, very simple th- things as an outline for us to kind of um, structure this chapter. One is that Paul is uh, relayed the gospel. We're going to see how, how Paul relayed the gospel to the church in Thessalonica. Uh, secondly, we're going to see how the church received the gospel. And then lastly, we're going to see the reward that Paul considers in the gospel. So, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, continuing on in verse 1, Paul says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you is not in vain, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Everyone say bold. So this was the what was produced in Paul's life after going through conflict and suffering. And we know that as a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've committed your life to God and you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you've been born again, that does not make you immune to the conflicts and struggles and challenges of life. It doesn't make you immune to difficulties and trials. In fact, Peter says in his epistle, that we should not think it's strange when we go through these types of trials. And James would say that we should consider it joy when we go through trials because we know that the testing of our faith produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. So God is building in us this sense of hope and trust in God and the character of Christ as we go through these trials. Now a pastor or a servant leader or a minister is not immune to these types of difficulties because they're just normal people like everyone else. They have insecurities and weaknesses and failures and sins and hardships and, and struggles. But on top of dealing with their own personal uh, dysfunction, uh, they're also helping other people navigate spiritually the dis- dysfunctions of life so that they can be molded and shaped in the image of Jesus. So Paul experienced this type of suffering, but it created a boldness. And in verse 3, for our ex- exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. Now he's getting straight at the accusations that were coming against him. Well, Paul, his teaching was not truthful. There was error. Or his life was not consistent. There was uncleanness. Or he was deceit, so his motives were wrong. So Paul is saying that was not the case. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, Not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Now turn around and circle that phrase in the person's Bible sitting behind you. There's that one joke. You can laugh at that. Please do. Um, No, it's just a way to remember this phrase. Just circle it and underline it. This is so important. This will really ground you in this North Star as being a follower of Jesus. To not please men, but to please God. Because if you try to please men, then you are going 
to try to do everything you can to, there's going to be a lot of compromise that takes place in your life. And you're not going to want to offend anybody. And you're not going to want to say something that's going to offend somebody. But if, um, but the, but the, but the reality is, is that the gospel at its core is offensive. The gospel is offensive. Why? Because it is a smack in the face to every single one of us of the condition of sin and pride and arrogance that's in our life. And if the gospel doesn't have any offense and the preaching of the gospel and the preaching of God's word has no offense, then either the pastor needs to resign or you need to go to another church because the gospel and the teaching of God's word should bring a type of offense and sense of conviction to us so that there's change. And Paul says, I'm not pleasing men, I'm pleasing God. And for neither, in verse 5, at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, or a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. It was, uh, it was Paul's prerogative to be able to make these types of demands because of the position that he had, because of the platform that he had. But he chose not to use his platform and his position as a way to control and to manipulate and to get praise from people. He used that as a platform to lower himself and to humble himself and to serve other people and to get low. And in verse 7, he continues on, But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Everyone say gentle. Now gentle is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And gentle is having the heart of compassion that Jesus has. In the Gospels we see whenever Jesus saw people, not only individually, but also uh, as, a, as a group of people, he was moved with compassion because he saw people who were like sheep without a shepherd. They were lost. And compassion is love and action. So compassion moves us to action. And being gentle has this sense of care and concern for the needs of other people. And uh, the book of Philippians chapter 2 also tells us that we should not look out only for our own interests, but also for the interests of others. And we do that by taking on the form of a servant towards other people. And he was gentle as a mother. Verse 8, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. So we see that Paul's life was an open book, meaning he had words that he was teaching and preaching, but those words aligned with the way that he lived. He was part of the community of the body of Christ. He was involved in the fellowship and the connection with other people. And his life was an open book for other people to read and to see that this guy was a normal guy. He had these types of sufferings and persecutions and insecurities. However, he wasn't standing up in front of people and just going through notes or, you know, just really formal and, and lifeless. No, he already told us that he wasn't a great speaker and a preacher and that he didn't use flattering words, but he preached with the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit that the word of God is living and active. When the, when the word of God is preached with the power of the Holy Spirit it, at the center of it, then there is the power to change. And Paul is saying that that type of preaching um, is, uh, is how he came and he lived his life. So he desired 
to pour out his entire life for this church. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day, that we, we might not be a burden to any one of you, and we preach to you the gospel of God. And you are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and how justly and how blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. Now these are some, that's a pretty tall order, right, for someone to say, that I've lived devoutly and justly and blamelessly. Now, if you look at First Timothy and First and Second Timothy and Titus, as well as in Peter, you see the qualifications of a deacon, a bishop, an elder, and an overseer, a pastor. And these are words that are described as those types of qualifications. Now, that's not to say that a pastor or a deacon or an elder or a leader is perfect and blameless. Well, just get close to anyone who has that position or um, or or ministry, and you know they're not perfect, and uh, you know that they have um, sin and issues going on in their lives as well. However, there is a consistency and a genuineness in their character as well as in the words that they say in front of other people, and I think that's one of the most clearest indications of a person's character is not what you hear from them when they're standing up uh, in front of other people, but what you see from them behind closed doors when the rubber meets the road, so to speak, when life hits and when other people aren't around. It's this word of integrity. And Paul is modeling that as a servant leader for the church to see. Blamelessly, we behaved ourselves among you who believe. And as you know, we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. What was this all for? That you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So uh, we'll just pause there and look at how Paul relayed the gospel as a servant leader to this church. One is, as we've already mentioned, he was persecuted. There was a lot of pain that went into Paul's ministry. He was told that ahead of time. You remember when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was blinded. And God sent Ananias to go pray for him so that he would receive his sight and also tell him about the ministry that he was called to and how many things he would suffer. But oftentimes, as is in Paul's life as well as in ours, that brokenness uh, can lead to boldness because in our brokenness we rely on the strength of God and we rely on his strength and our weaknesses. And Paul did not run away from the ministry when he experienced this type of persecution and pain. In fact, he leaned into it. And he became even more bold to preach the gospel and to go to places uh, which were very difficult and hard to share the gospel. And I think that's a great reminder for us as well. That even in the brokenness of life, God can bring about a boldness and a courage and a faith and a trust in God whenever we go through hard times. We also see the nature of his preaching, and that was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, but not with eloquent, eloquent words or flattering speech, with, with, but with the plain preaching of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and the preaching of God's word. And this preaching was focused on not pleasing uh, men, but pleasing God. And a preacher or a minister of the gospel who seeks to please men will surely and inevitably disappoint God. 
because there's going to be a lot of compromise in the preaching of the gospel. And so if you're trying to please men, then you're not going to preach texts or you're not going to teach on things that are going to be offensive to other people. But the very offense brings about the character and the nature and the quality of Jesus Christ. And so the minister of the gospel, as Paul is describing here, is the pastor can have confidence in the power of that gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ for the minister is enough. It's enough for him or her as they minister and serve the Lord through that gospel. And so they're not trying to please people. Uh, they're desiring to please and glorify and honor God. And then thirdly, we see the pattern, the nature of, of his life, how he was devout and just and, and blameless. Not perfect, but striving to align what he was saying in his teaching with how he was living uh, in his life. And I think that the best pastors and servant leaders are the ones who practice what they preach. And that's really difficult and hard, especially since, you know, just for an example, um, being open with you guys, uh, past couple of weeks we were studying through the Lord's Prayer, and I was preaching um, on forgiveness. And we were looking at how uh, we ask God to forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned or are indebted to us. And as always, um, every single week, I get an opportunity to put into practice what I, I teach and preach on Sunday. Um, and so, unfortunately, our, our neighbor's dog had gotten out and had tragically, it was very traumatic for us, but killed four of our, our animals, uh, two, uh, two ducks and two chickens. And these, these, um, uh, these animals, the kids uh, raised from hatchlings, they hatched them. You know, like watching them hatch. <laughs> so it was very traumatic. Um, and the owners, we called them, and they came over, and, and they, they were really broken. And obviously I knew that they never wanted anything like this to happen, and we never wanted anything like this to happen. And there was a moment there where I could have really just let my mouth run <laughs> uh, and really let the anger come up. Uh, and... Um, fortunately, there was a moment where they asked for forgiveness. They said, we're so sorry. They were just constantly saying, I'm so sorry. I, would you forgive us? Um, and I just said, I forget, we forgive you. Um, and then I said, you know, I'm a, I'm a, a follower of Jesus. And, and times like this, I pray to God for comfort and for guidance and wisdom and do you mind if I pray for you in this situation and we just had a moment to pray and I'm not saying that because I do these situations perfectly but I'm saying it as an example that um, there are opportunities throughout our week to put into practice what Jesus is teaching us in his word if it's truly alive and active then it will interact with real life as we encounter opportunities to love, to forgive, to have faith, to have trust, all these things that we're talking about, right? And so words take on greater meaning when backed up by genuine living. You know, there's another saying that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think that uh, encapsulates this as well, just in the sense of pa uh, Pastor Paul practicing what he preaches 
and doing it in a way that is open for other people to see some of his failures as well as some of his successes because he would go on to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now, that's a hard thing to say um, because we are to be humble when it comes to being examples of Jesus. But we're all learning together. We're all growing together. And if we see the faith and the humility of another uh, person in the body of Christ here at our church who's going through something very difficult and it's growing in them faith, then we can learn and grow from them. You know, the Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For that anyone that comes to him must believe that he exists and he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So if we're not to please men, but to please God, how do you please God? You please God by having faith and trust in him, by drawing close to him in his word. And 45 minutes sermon from either Pastor Paul or Pastor Sherwood is insufficient for the spiritual growth and maturity of our lives in him. And so we're encouraged to get into God's word and to bring our Bibles to church and to open them as we have an opportunity to, to read and study his, his word. But you see the examples of not only Pastor Paul, servant leaders, maybe in the church, but also for all of us. Would it not be, should it not be said of each one of us as followers of Jesus that the brokenness and the persecution and the trials are going to come as we, as we devote ourselves to him? As well as not living our lives to please other people, but to have a pattern of life that pleases God and honors him. That our words that we say on Sunday morning would be in line with the way we live on Monday morning, right? These are consistencies as followers of Jesus. And then Paul says, I was like a parent to you. I was a mother and a father. Uh, a mother cherishes, a mother is gentle, a mother nourishes, uh, but a, a father charges and challenges. And so combined in both of these qualities, great pastors and servant leaders nurture people towards maturity in Christ. And that's what Paul is modeling for us. Now, we also see how the church responded to this type of servant leader as a minister in the church. Look with me in verse 13. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Everyone say, welcomed. So Paul said this very same thing in chapter 1 where he says we do not cease to pray for you and to thank God for you in what he's doing in your life. Now we see how the church received and responded to the, the preaching of God's word and the gospel as well as the servant leaders who were represented in the church. And so in verse 14, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as, you did, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the, the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us. And they, they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. So, pausing there, we're looking at how the church received the gospel of God's truth. I see a couple of things. One, they welcomed it. They were, they were leaning into God's word. Now, we know that's the fact because in chapter one, they were so um, excited, enthusiastic for the preaching and teaching of God's word. And the first step 
in welcoming God's word in our lives is opening up the door of our hearts to God's word and, and being uh, open to, to hear God's word. There is a, a parable that Jesus spoke in, in, the, uh, in the Gospels uh, about the word of God being sown and planted upon the different conditions of people's hearts. There was a good condition of the heart. Uh, there was a, a hard condition. There's a stony condition. There's a shallow condition. And these conditions of the heart indicated the, the type of root as well as fruit that was produced, the effective working of God's word in their lives. And this church was so welcoming. They were so eager. They anticipated the teaching of God's word, not only on a Sunday morning or in a gathering, but on a daily, uh, a daily sort of rhythm and practice in their lives. And I think that's the same true for us to be welcoming and open the door of our hearts, not only to have our Bibles open, but to have our ears open, to have our hearts open, to be open to how God would speak to us because the Bible is living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It has the power to cut through to the intents and the motives of the heart, revealing God's truth. So in God's truth, we have his grace, but we also have his mercy. The grace of God is extended to us in his unmerited favor that no matter where we're at, no matter what we've done, no matter who we are, uh, God's goodness and God's love is extended to us. So a church like this in Thessalonica, but also like us here at Quest Church, I would say across the board for all churches who are Bible-based, Christ-centered, and Spirit-filled, should have the grace of God for every single person who comes into the doors of the church they would encounter God's grace. But friends, listen, they would also encounter the truth of God. Because it's not loving to not give somebody truth. Especially if that truth is going to set them free. And to keep them from danger of hell, fire, and brimstone, right? And um, that truth of God is a warning to bring us back to the, the love of God. And so Paul was presenting both of those things and welcoming the word of God and allowing that to convict and challenge and change us. But we also see the effective work of the word of God in their lives. And the best way to see God work in your life is to see your way into God's word. If you want to see God work in your life, then you need to see your way into his word. And that goes beyond Sunday morning. It's every, every morning, every day, every opportunity you have to see your way into God's word. Because God will not work in your life apart from his word. And you cannot say that God is silent if you have your Bible closed. And you cannot say that God is not working in your life if your Bible is up on your shelf collecting dust. It is through the powerful word of God that God works and um, and that God speaks. So if you want to hear God and you need direction in life and you want your marriage to be healed and you, want, you desire for your children to know and follow Jesus and you want to be a witness to God in your workplace and you want to honor and please him in your life and you want to be delivered from pornography and from sin and from immorality then you need to be opening up your Bible. You need to be reading your word. There's no work of God apart from the word of God. And the best way to see the work of God in your life is to see your way into it, however you can. Turn off the social media, uh, disconnect. Well, uh, after today, you can, turn on, you can, uh, you can cancel the, the, the NFL package. Just, 
cancel the NFL package after today, um, but make it a priority. You know, we prioritize the things that we value. Our money is there. Uh, our, we're, we are, we're present there. We vote by, by our wallet and by our, our, our presence in the things that we value and things that we care for. And so if you, you want to know God's word, and when you want to have God's word in your, in your life, well, then prioritize it and seek it. You know, one of the longest chapters in the Bible, Psalm 119, every single verse in Psalm 119 talks about the statutes of God, the commandments of God, the, 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 the truth of God, and how God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Now, the smallest chapter um, uh, is um, Psalm 19. Excuse me, I, don't, I can't remember actually. <laughs> uh, somebody might know that. I was trying to make a connection there. but um, so, um, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter, right? Psalm 118 is the shortest chapter, is that right? 117, there it is. Psalm 117 is the ch- shortest chapter. And Psalm 118, depending on your translation and how your verses kind of fall psalm 118 is is the middle um, of the bible and uh, but psalm 119 is actually a shortened version of psalm 119 that deals with the truth and the power of god's word and in psalm 19 verse 7 it says the law of the lord is perfect converting the soul the testimony of the lord is sure making wise the simple so law testimony statutes commandments fears judgments these are all words interchangeable for the word of god the statutes of the lord are right rejoicing the heart the commandment of the lord is pure enlightening the eyes the fear of the lord is clean enduring forever the judgments of the lord are true and righteous altogether more to be desired is god's word than gold yes than much fine gold sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb moreover by them, by the word of God, your servant is warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. There's wonderful reward and work that God does in our lives through the word of God. So the church welcomed it, the, <coughs> the word of God. <coughs> they saw the work of God in their midst, and because of the work of God in their midst, they began to witness for him in other places. And that when God's word gets in you, it can't help but gush out of you. It can't help but, but pour out of you in ways that witnesses to other people. Now, the, um, the, pro- the, the byproduct of this, of God's word working in your life, is that you and I will encounter the conflict and the suffering and the persecution that not only this church experienced, but we will as well. And those who abide in God's word, there will be a time where your life will collide with spiritual warfare. There will be an intense battle against you as a follower of Jesus with the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. As you go out into this world and into this culture and into your work and into your schools and into our neighborhoods and into our community, there is a spiritual warfare that is gonna come against you as a follower of Jesus. Don't let that deter you. Because greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. And we don't have to run away. We can stand our ground. And we can advance the kingdom of of heaven as we uh, continue to walk boldly. To have boldness and courage and faith and trust in Jesus. 
as uh, we walk through life. Now, lastly, we have this wonderful reward that Paul has in the ministry. It's not a title. It's not a position. It's not a 401k sort of deal. It's uh, not money in the bank or, or toys in the garage for Paul. It was all about people. His reward, his joy, his crown was in ministering and serving people. So look with me in closing here, verse 17. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. Everyone say Satan. We don't want to say that name, do we? But it is a powerful reminder of the work of Satan in the midst of the church as well as in the heart of a minister. That Satan would like nothing more than to strike down pastors who are preaching the word of God. To strike down pastors who are serving people. Uh, Satan would like nothing more than to strike down churches who have an evangelistic mission to reach people who are far from God and teach the word and the gospel and to go out from the four walls where they gather or wherever they gather. He would like nothing more than to bring division and to pit Christians against one another and to destroy the church's mission and vision. Well, he can do that um, in various ways. The more subtle way is to just get us distracted, just get, get us focused on things that aren't as important to get us gossiping and murmuring and complaining about the pastor's message because it wasn't all that great and he didn't have really good jokes. And uh, we already know that, so we just move on from there. But, wow, that wasn't all that great. Get us murmuring and complaining and backbiting against one another. Get us pointing the finger at other people and judging other people where that's not what the church is for. The Holy Spirit will do the judging and the convicting. The Word of God will do the uh, challenging and the, the fatherly spank, so to speak, to our souls if we need that in our lives. And that's because as we read through the Scriptures, then God's going to bring that to our attention. And whatever it is in your life, He'll do that for you. And whatever it is in my life, He'll do that for me. And allow God's Word to, to um, make those changes. So we see here Satan is working for what is our hope? Or our joy or our crown or our rejoicing. Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and our joy. As I mentioned, every single chapter in 1 Thessalonians ends with a reminder of the return and the coming of Jesus. Here we see as uh, we continue to look to Jesus um, for his return. Here, and lastly, Paul is looking at the reward that the church, the people of God, or is Paul's reward in the gospel ministry and notice that he is hoping to do something that is to return back to the church to visit them and to fellowship with them that was his desire but even though he is absent from them uh, even though the pastor is out of the church the church isn't out of the pastor so to speak his heart his prayers even though he's not there physically his heart and his prayers are going out towards the church however there is a a, a war at at work here and there is an adversary. There is a liar and a deceiver, Satan. And Satan would like nothing more than to strike down God's servants. As you devote yourself to God's word, as you get serious about following him, and as you put your hand to serving God and others in whatever passions and gifts and ministries he's opened the door for you, there is a target on your back 
Satan, your adversary, he's the accuser of the brethren. He, he wants to just take you down. But you and I don't need to run away. We can stand our ground with, with God giving us his, his strength. So there was an, a hindrance, but um, he was so happy. Paul was so happy. And his hap- happiness and his joy didn't come from the big crowds. It didn't come from the multi-campus sites of his church. It didn't come from all the growth it came, uh, from buildings and programs and plans. It came from people. And ministry is not what you can get out of people. It's what you can make them into. That's the heart of the Pastor Paul. That's the heart of the ministry of Jesus Christ modeled in his life to serve other people. So we're going to have our worship team come on up and lead us in a closing song. But just as a way of a reminder, some takeaways for us. One is that whether you're a pastor or a servant, a deacon, elder, minister, follower of Jesus, hey, let's just say D, all the above, okay? That every single one of us can ensure that our biblical beliefs are practiced in our lives daily. There's a genuineness, authenticity about the words that we say, the songs that we sing. How can we honor God with our lips and our hearts being far from him? That's not what God wants or God desires. Secondly, every single one of us can engage in God's word as a source of truth and comfort and guidance in our lives. And then thirdly, we can all explore practical ways to begin to serve the needs of other people because that is what God has called us to. Amen? All right. Well, Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. We thank you that you work through the power of God your word to instruct. And I thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit because it is not in me. I can't speak. I don't have it all down. (laughs) In fact, I'm going through a lot of the struggles that Paul is describing here in this church. And yet you're good, you're loving, and you're faithful. I pray for those who need a gentle mother's touch today from the Holy Spirit. That you'd be gentle with them. You'd hold them close. And you'd rock them. And you'd say, it's going to be okay. I got this. I'm with you. May those words sink deep into the soul of the heart today that is overwhelmed and burdened. I pray also on the other side that you come as a father. Maybe we don't have the greatest example of a father, but that's okay. We have the example of a father in the Bible. And he is one who comes to give us a little spank. He's the one who challenges us and charges us where we're falling short, where we're not doing our best, where we just phoning it in and he knows we can do better I pray for those who need a father's charge and challenge today to let go of things to cut things off to do more of the things that we know we should be doing and less of the things we know we shouldn't be doing Lord across this room have your way do your work do your work in Jesus name and we all said Amen.
Thanks again for joining us for the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions about the Bible, need prayer, or recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit questsd.com to get connected. You can also send us an email at info at questsd.com to let us know how God is using these messages to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Until next time, we pray you have a blessed week.